Downloads of this show are available on Potomatic.com and the Potomatic mobile app. Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Violet Barron, here in studio with uh, Teresa Robinson, Raymond Curtis, Emily Scott, and our special guest, Rich Limesider from Safe Passage Project. How's everyone doing today? Good. Hey, good. how's it going, Violet? Good, good. I'm Glad good. to have you. We've got a cozy uh, scene in the studio right now, uh, lots of uh, cool people, um, and we've got a, a good show for you today. Uh, this week we're going to hear how Safe Pas- Passage is advocating for immigrant kids in and around New York uh, and what the fight for immigration rights is looking like right now. We'll also talk what everybody's been waiting for, that Mueller report, and what it does and does not say about a certain president. We'll also hear about gun control in New Zealand and much more. Uh, stay tuned. So uh, how's it going, everyone? How's everyone's week been? It's spring now. Mm-hmm. It's hot. Yeah, it's like a sauna in this room right now too. About it five is. of us. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna sweat out all of our Saturday night toxins. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we've got we've got a preview for the steaminess of New York summer. Yeah. in studio. Uh, so we're very lucky. Um, so uh, I think we'll get right into it with the Safe Passage Project. Thanks for coming sure. in today, Rich. How's how's it going? It's going good. It's a it's a good day. There's a there's a lot going on in the world. I, I'm still not sure I totally have figured out how to answer that question over the past two years, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, there's a lot been go- that's been going on, and your organization's uh, been really in the mix for a good amount of it. Um, so uh, first, let's uh, let's take a step back a little bit. Um, Rich, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got into Safe Passage? Sure, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me here today and for giving us a chance to to tell our story and to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that these incredible kids we get to work with are uh, are facing every day. And by the way, this is a, it's a great studio. It's a great building. And <laughs> I'm just you. looking around at some of the cool art on the walls. Um, <laughs> so uh, psyched to be here. Um, so I, native New Yorker, uh, proud public school kid, uh, PS41, IS70, nice. Stuyvesant High School. We can talk all about that too. Oh, Stuyvesant. Uh, you must be smart. In the news. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that, that's the that's the question, right? Right. I right. did take a test well on one day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, and uh, went to college. Um, first job after college, worked for the Department of Homeless Services. And for myself, just got this idea that I should go to social work school and business school. I kind of like the idea of having these two sides of how do you mm. uh, find ways to support people in need. Um, and so that's that's kind of my uh, personal background. And uh, three years ago, found myself uh, looking for the next challenge and stumbled upon this great organization, Safe Passage Project, was doing really interesting and important work with children. Um, I was very interested in issues of justice, working with kids, had worked mostly for nonprofits, a little bit for government in my career. And it was summer of 2016, 
And this was a, a two-year-old organization, small, had done some really good work. And everyone was really sure that President Hillary Clinton wasn't going to change immigration policy. And so they said, well, let's hire this guy who's not a lawyer, mm-hmm. even though this is a legal services organization. But this is just about a nonprofit growing and doing other stuff. And so I took this job and we had, a, we had an election that you may have heard about a couple months after that. Mm-hmm. And it's been a very, very different story since then. Yeah, wow. So you've really been in it for the height of the uh, administration, and you've seen you must have seen a lot while you were there. It's been it's been a real roller coaster. It's been kind of crazy. Definitely the most challenging professional experience of my life. Cool. Uh, and can you tell us a little bit about Safe po- uh, Passage? How did that get started? Sure. So Safe Passage is pretty easy to understand. We provide free lawyers to children refugees who are being deported in the New York area. Um, So we only work in seven counties, the five boroughs of New York City and then Suffolk and Nassau County, which is Long Island. Um, Safe Passage was a volunteer project at a law school, Hmm. New York Law School, which is an independent law school in Tribeca. And um, there's an amazing professor who's been there for a long time, Lenny Benson, and she would just bring her students over to the immigration court and they'd pick up a case or two. And around the year 2013, uh, early 2014, there was a major new refugee crisis that some people have heard of, but still not enough New Yorkers even really know about, which is the crisis of uh, unaccompanied minors, children who are traveling by themselves from Central America, Hmm. coming to seek freedom and safety and security in the United States. Hmm. And so every year since 2014, there have been somewhere between 40 and 60,000 kids who travel from Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, by themselves, uh, through the length of Mexico. They ride a freight train if they can. It's called the Beast. They walk. uh, They wear out four or five pairs of sneakers on the way. And they get to Texas. And then when they come to Texas, they see a Border Patrol officer, and they think, thank God, I'm in the promised land. This was where I've been trying to get to. Uh, They're mostly fleeing gang violence, sexual assault, really challenging uh, situations in their home countries. And when they cross the border, they see this border patrol agent, they get processed, they get taken in. And it turns out if you're a child coming into this country by yourself without your parents, we actually have really good laws. There, you know, the, the immigration system is really complicated, but for this particular group of kids, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty close to what we would wish for in mm-hmm. terms of how the laws are written. And one of the pieces of these laws says that even if you cross in Texas, uh, you're going to get handed a piece of paper. You're going to get told that you should be deported. You don't belong here. You don't have a visa. But you get a day in court, in immigration court. And if you have a friend or a family member, you're allowed to stay with them while you go through your court process. And so more of those 40, 50, 60,000 kids who cross the border come to New York than any other p- part of the country. Mm. So we actually have more of these Central American children right here in our city Safe Passage serves uh, hundreds of kids in Brooklyn, uh, in Queens, and the Bronx especially. And then there's a really large group actually out on, out on Long, on Island. Long Island. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why do you think that is? Because you mentioned they come up through Texas often, um, yeah. and we're, you know, way up north. So why is that? Yeah, it's, it, and, you know, the history is also really interesting. I mean, there's so much to talk about. So much of the gang violence that these kids are fleeing Mm -hmm. is itself uh, largely a result of U.S. policy. So we were, you know, supporting Central American dictators and getting involved in civil wars, especially through the 70s and the 80s. Um, When those uh, wars settled down, 
Um, the countries were pretty decimated. There's not very strong governments. And then we also solved a big chunk of our gang violence problem in Los Angeles by deporting a bunch of young Central American men back down to these countries where they took everything they'd learned about gang violence and built up uh, gangs that are now running the countries. But also part of that in the 1980s was that we resettled a lot of Central American refugees in New York and out on Long Island. And so when a kid crosses and they say, do you know anybody in the U.S.? They very frequently say, yeah, my my aunt is cutting hair in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if I could go stay with her, that'd be great. So there's a history and there's communities here already. Absolutely. All right. And um, yeah, you mentioned you have some clients out on Long Island uh, and uh, you had some media, major media coverage in the last uh, year or so. Uh, There was a New Yorker article that Mm. uh, spoke about um, childhood arrivals and uh, mentioned safe passage as uh, one of your clients uh, was involved and I believe it was uh, with the M15 gang. Is that MS13. Right? MS13 yes, gang. Exactly. Um, not to com- be confused with the M15 select bus service. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, There's a joke in there, but I'm not going to yeah, go close so, to it. Um, <laughs> so why do you think that uh, Safe Passage is, uh, is wrapped up in uh, some of today's news? Uh, what's the story that you're hitting on uh, with your clients? Yeah, I mean, you know, this is a, just speaking very personally, this is a first for me. I've never, first of all, I've never worked anywhere that my parents understood what I did for a living. <laughs> and now um, the the idea that what we're working on is on the front page of the papers literally every single day. Very important work right now. It's crazy. Um, uh, but there's so much. So like you said, there's this notion of gang violence. So, you know, this is not a country where we should be surprised about the uh you know, demonization or criminalization, particularly of young uh, black and brown boys, right? So that's, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a playbook around mass incarceration in this country that is being deployed, you know, exactly the same steps Mm -hmm. around uh, Latino immigrants in particular. Mm -hmm. And so out on Long Island, where it's a different kind of political environment than we have in the city, Mm -hmm. it's a real go-to argument to say uh, these young uh, Hispanic men are here to, you know, uh, prey on our beautiful white daughters, essentially, is kind of how a lot of the media uh, plays. And this president has a lot of allies and friends out on Long Island. He was out there, you know, early on in his uh, in his presidency. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, part of it is just uh, supporting these children, working with our clients when there's a pretty massive infrastructure that's trying to paint them and target them in a certain way. Okay. All right. And um, uh, I'm curious also, uh, now it's been some time since uh, that major uh, news, uh, since the MS-13 was really big in the news, but Mm. I'm sure you're continuing to see a lot of uh, the fallout of that. Uh, And I'm curious, what what have been some of the major projects and major challenges for your work uh, in recent months? You know, it's all of that. And so right now, um, so basically what we do is we try to meet uh, children wherever they are in those seven counties, and we try to get them a free lawyer. And so we have grown pretty quickly over the past couple of years. It started as you know a half-time person helping out with this volunteer project. Now there's 30 of us, including 18 full-time lawyers, but most importantly, 400 volunteer lawyers. Mm-hmm. And so our job is to try to connect one of those lawyers with as many kids as we can, and we're up to 873 wow. kids that we're working with right now. 
Um, and it's not just the MS-13. It, you know, that's, that's one set of challenges. So 40 or 50 of our clients are facing um, complete BS, uh, you know, allegations. Literally, we've had kids detained because um, there was a picture of them on their Facebook page sitting on a stoop with a baseball bat. And the immigration authorities said, oh, this is proof of violent activity. He's, he's got a weapon. Wow. We've got a client who has a tattoo of the Virgin Mary on his leg. They said that's a that's a gang tattoo. Um, and uh, these these kids can be put in immigration detention for months and months before anybody uh, figures out what's going on. Um, not only that, when the children were being separated from their parents at the border over the summer, um, we wound up taking on 62 of those children as clients. And wow. so that was, you know, a whole different issue. Um even things like the caravan that people have talked about over the past mm-hmm. few months. Right. The reality is those, if there's four or 5,000 people uh, in Tijuana right now trying to come through, if you just kind of do the math, the way people have been coming across the border for the past few years, 70 or 80 of those kids should be our clients. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the U.S. government is now sending armed forces basically to block these children from pursuing uh, safety here in New York. Right. Wow. You know, we hear about the caravan, we hear about uh, these uh, major uh, immigration stories in the news. There's a lot about DACA in and out. Mm. Um, Do you think there are uh, certain topics that maybe we're missing or maybe we should be focusing more of our attention on regarding childhood uh, immigration? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great question. It's it's, from a media perspective, it's it's hard to ask for more attention. I mean, this is this is something that there's a tremendous amount of attention on right now. Mm-hmm. But what I would say, um, the, the one is what I referenced earlier, which is there's a refugee crisis in New York City right now. Mm-hmm. And so one of the one of the reasons for attention in our community is when people learn about that, as motivated as they have been about Syrian refugees, as motivated as you might be about immigration issues, you know, mm-hmm. in the entire country, we have a refugee crisis in our city. Tens of thousands of people are, you know, fleeing horrific violence, challenging situations. We don't need to fly down to the border necessarily to be helpful. And so many wonderful people are doing that, and it's great. But people can also take the bus or the train and actually come and support that support work on that refugee crisis um, right here. Right, right. Um, and then uh, looking forward for Safe Passage um, – so you mentioned, you, you know, it just sounds like you have many, many clients and many more who could be your clients. Mm. Um, are there other uh, organizations that are doing something similar? Yeah, we get to work with a really amazing coalition. Um, we're, we're sort of the only one-trick pony in the city. So there's a mm-hmm. lot. So Catholic Charities has a really great immigration law department. The Legal Aid Society has really wonderful um, uh, immigration law attorneys, organizations like The Door, mm-hmm. like Make the Road. There's an incredible organization called Kala that's been fighting the fight in the okay. city. Most of those organizations, and we have a kind of a, a, a network. We actually share ideas, best practices. We cover court at different times. Mm-hmm. One of the ways we meet our clients is we go down to the immigration court and we sit in the back row and we wait for a child to go up. Um, the The trick of this whole thing is that if you've ever seen a a, a cop show when they arrest somebody, you have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford an attorney, one will be appointed to you. That's only true in criminal court. Hmm. So the whole reason we exist is because even if you're a four-year-old, when you go up and sit at that defense table, it looks like any other courtroom, 
You got an adult trained government prosecutor on the left arguing why you should be deported. And then you've got a four year old girl. She's expected to sit there by herself. And the, mm. the judge leans over and says, OK, tell me the legal reasons why you think you should be allowed to stay in wow. this country. Wow. And that's how our system works. So we get to work with all these other incredible, uh, incredible organizations. That's great. Uh, and um, do you see uh, w- what's on the horizon in the next couple months for uh, Safe Passage and moving forward? Yeah, I mean, the you know, to be honest, and if I was going to plug anything, is we're hiring. There are not enough immigration lawyers who are uh, taking on these staff roles. And mm-hmm. so the the actual number one block right now is we've got five open positions for immigration lawyers. Every time we take on a new lawyer, we pick up 75 more kids. We literally mm-hmm. turn around and we say, okay, now we've got capacity to take 75 mm-hmm. more children. We go to court three times a week, four times a week. Every time I go, we see kids sitting there by themselves without a lawyer. And we right now don't have capacity to take them all on. So we need to find those, those staff lawyers. It, you know, the, the other thing about um, uh, what would, what could use extra attention. So the law that protects these kids hasn't actually changed that much over the past two years. Congress hasn't done anything. They haven't rolled back any of these incredible protections. And now since the midterms, it looks like they probably won't, which is kind of amazing. On the other hand, the administration has this checklist. There was actually a, a blog post and an email circulating before the election saying, if, the, if Republicans win, what are things that they can just do that are kind of administrative obstacles? Right. And they're going down this list. And so, for example, they recently argued that one of the protections that children have says if you've been abandoned by your parents, you're allowed to stay in the United States. Recently, we've started getting forms in the mail saying uh, this young person's parents were murdered. That We don't think that's abandonment. So we're going to reject the application of this young person because they weren't explicitly abandoned. They were just killed. Wow. So these are sort of like, it's, it's, it's insane, right? Yeah. And it's these little administrative, like we're just going to read a word in the law a little differently and we're just going to do it because we can and you can fight us, but it's going to take you a lot of time and energy to fight us. Hmm. And so that's really, that's you know going to continue to happen over the next year. Uh, I want to open up the floor to our other hosts and see if anyone's got questions for Rich. Yeah, I have a question for you, Rich. So what can other organizations do to help in the process of your work? I mean, not specifically that organizations that work with immigration, but how can other people get involved to help your organization have a better reach? Um, Because I personally am not a lawyer, but I can't say I'm going to walk away from this conversation not thinking about this and how I can get involved. No, that's incredible. Um, You know, our organization in particular works completely with the support of hundreds of volunteers. A lot of them are lawyers. We also use, tra- we need translators. So anyone who is Spanish fluent, um, I mean, in particular, that one of the most challenging things is people who, who speak uh, native languages in Central America that are not Spanish. Okay. So some of our clients actually don't speak English or Spanish. You know, they may be from a village in the mountains where they spoke Quiche or, or mm-hmm. you know, um, so, you know, uh, uh, volunteers of any sort. We are really focused on legal services. Okay. These kids are all suffering from trauma, the trauma that caused them to walk away by themselves from, yeah. you know, from their country in the first place. The trip is horrible. There are people who prey on children who are making this journey. There's there's physical, you know, violence and challenges. And then life here isn't always, uh, you know, uh, it's trying to figure out school and family. Mm-hmm. Um so, uh, you know, any kind of supports, social services, we, you know, we do backpack drives for our kids to make school life more easy, but we really are focused on their legal case okay. and we don't have capacity to support, 
you know, so many different things that these kids, that these kids need and deserve. So, um, one of the, one of the major issues that we're facing right now and why there's, um, support for these awful tactics that are being used by the executive, uh, um, administration, we uh, are, are, there's this narrative that they're creating about who's coming here and what mm. type of people are, are, are entering the country. Mm. Um, and, and in my time, I've, I've worked some with um, um, refugees at a homeless mm. shelter in, in Harlem, mm. which is really where I started to get that firsthand experience and meet these individuals that are, and these were adults, mind you, but meet these individuals who were coming to the United States seeking refuge. Um, what can you can you tell us a little bit, maybe just about an individual that really uh, impacted you, or just like help offset that narrative? I want to mm-hmm. like, what's the heart of like these kids that are coming here? What are you encountering? You're obviously not encountering criminals or any people looking to take advantage of, uh, you know, of you know every you know come here and take. They're they're seeking refuge. What does that mean, though? I think that's a really really important point to bring up because it is. I mean, there's you know, less, it's not, not compelling narrative, but there's, there's really convincing, clear evidence that immigrants in general, you know, commit far less crime, you know, work hard, contribute to the, um, to the economy of the country. But I also have to say that for me, welcoming refugees, um, you know, uh, embracing immigrants, people who are fleeing challenges, that's the highest aspiration for what I hope America can mean and, you know, should mean at its best, right? There's so many things that are challenging about this country, about our history. You know, certainly we know that a, a huge proportion of our, uh, of our population didn't come here as willing immigrants. There's, you know, lots mm-hmm. of challenges to, to that sort of narrative of, okay, we're just, you know, we're a, a nation of immigrants. Mm-hmm. Not everyone in the exact same way. But if we think about what we could be and what we aspire to be, um, that means a, a tremendous amount to me. And so I have to say the average age of our client is 15, 16. Mm. We're more likely to have uh, boys than girls as clients. And I know that sometimes when we do our marketing material, the pressure is let's get that seven-year-old girl, mm-hmm. you know, on the materials. And you want to sort of tell that story about that, you know, uh, honorable, blameless. But the truth is some of these are, are, teenage guys who are getting into all the normal trouble Mm -hmm. that teenagers get into and they're getting busted for smoking joints and they might get into a fight at school. But for them getting into that kind of trouble can literally be a death sentence because Mm -hmm. if if that kind of trouble means that the school safety officer decides, uh, decides to call the cops as they often do out on Long Island and the cops come in and do an arrest and find out this is someone who's an undocumented immigrant that could actually result in a deportation Mm -hmm. back to these life threatening um, circumstances. So for me, yes, 95% of our clients are these, you know, they're all resilient. They give us energy every day that we get to do this work at Safe Passage Project. Mm-hmm. Um, but also they're just regular people. And I also want us to be able to aspire to be that country that, you know, really can um, welcome normal teenagers just as mm-hmm. much as, uh, as anybody else, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great answer. Um, so, uh, we're about out of time, Rich. I wanted to ask, what's the best way for people to follow Safe Passage and, uh, and see what's happening? 
Oh, thank you all so much. So definitely follow us on social, um, you know, Instagram, Twitter, whatever they invent next week, we'll probably be on it. Um, but come to our website if you can volunteer, if you want to come to a screening day, if you want to um, translate in Spanish, definitely if you're an attorney that can take a, a pro bono case or is interested in in working with us um, and then sign up, you know, for anything. We'd love to, to hear from folks and stay connected. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rich, for coming on. Uh, it was a great, uh, really interesting, informative uh, uh, segment. So um, we're going to take a short break. And when we get back, we're going to hear all about that Mueller report. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> for now, we're going to have a little bit of a, a break with City Girls. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, that was City Girls with period. A uh, nice break from uh, a great uh, interview about um, what it's like for immigration for childhood arrivals in uh, New York and around. Yeah, so, I really loved that interview. And yeah. just to plug it one more time, because this is so important. Yeah. When you, like, if, if you're not sure, then go find an opportunity to just be around refugees, be around these individuals who are who are risking everything to come to this country for liberty and freedom, because... 
even now in this very, what we see is a, a very troubled environment for them to enter into, they're still just thrilled and in love. Like even like, and yes, they're experiencing trauma now after crossing the border that they weren't before Trump. And that's awful. But even still, I, I meet these individuals and I encounter them and they're just thrilled to be here. They're so yeah. full of excitement in the face of everything that they've had to deal with. Um, and I, you know, and I think it's important for us to know that, that these are criminals. These aren't mm-hmm. bad people coming here. Yeah. They're here to make a difference and contribute. Yeah. All right. So, uh, well, let's get into it. Raymond, you prepared uh, some research for us this week on the Mueller report. Oh, yeah. So it's all it's all winding up. Right. So uh, Robert Mueller uh, delivered the long awaited and highly anticipated confidential report on the rest investigation to Attorney General William Barr on Friday. And it's still massively unclear what we're looking at and what we're hoping to learn about the Mueller findings. Uh, House Democrats held that held what they billed as an emergency conference call Saturday to talk strategy for the coming days. Democrats are demanding Mueller's entire report, not just the summary, be made public and that lawmakers be allowed to review the underlining evidence that led to his conclusions. While the president's supporters are hopeful, while the president's supporters are hopeful that he will be vindicated by the end of Mueller's 22-month investigation mm. into possible conspiracy, uh, Democrats pledged that the investigation's end will bring new focus to congressional inquiries aimed at the administration, which can mean a lot of things. Now, obviously, we still don't have any clue what's in there. The only thing we know is that they're, he's not asking for any more indictments when it comes to this collusion with Russia. But, you know, what do we know? Like, what does this mean? This is, it, it's it's done, it's been delivered, and we now know that there's, you know, some mountain of evidence that's sitting in the Attorney General's office being reviewed and summarized right now. I don't know. Where are our heads on this? I think we're all just waiting for a bomb to drop. Yeah. And well, unfortunately, I feel like there's not going to be one. I know. One. It's like a long fuse. And yeah. Yeah. I I def- think, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the bomb is, I mean, it's, it's impossible with this many indictments and such a narrow view that, um, that there's not more in this report that will be acted upon, hopefully. I mean, it's, it's Trump's attorney general, so a lot of it has to, it's going to be difficult to get around him, but I don't think impossible. I don't, I definitely don't think it's going to be impossible, but, um, so what's more important? What happens next? What will we see next? We know the attorney general's going to come out with a summary and mm-hmm. hopefully that'll be available to everyone, but do, do we think that, like, are there, is the House going to get this full report? How, how much, how long will that take? I, mean, right. I definitely know? feel like they're going to drag it out. Like they're going to try mm-hmm. to use the summary and there's going to go through some, some, some waiting game mm-hmm. that will drag out at least closest to election time or something like that. Because they just, is you know, time is winding up now. So right. they're just going to wind down the clock. I mm-hmm. think as far as, yeah. Well, or they might try and release it faster so that there's more of a gap between election time because if they like can only you know if they stall it up until like a month before election time that could be bad for them too that's true um i don't know but it also depends on who knows what and you know as soon as someone knows something on one side they're going to try and speed it up or slow it down Mm -hmm. based on who they what they want to see i feel like the summary is going to be very vague I do, I do too. I think that the summary will be very big. Yeah. I, th- I think it'll be written up in a way that it's like vindicating for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I have a lot of confidence in Speaker Pelosi mm-hmm. and her ability to strategize and to mobilize and to make Trump 
do what she wants. She's already demonstrated that. So I don't think this is just going to end with the letter that they sent on Saturday saying we want the full report that we don't we don't uh, trust a summarized version from the attorneys general that mm-hmm. um, the people's Congress deserve the full report and they will decide. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. <clears throat> I'm excited. Excuse me. It's to yeah. see like where uh, Speaker Pelosi goes with this. Like what are the strategies that she will use? Because I know like it's going to happen if they don't immediately do it. Mm-hmm. They'll start to pay consequences. This is yeah. the way that this speaker works. And I love it. Yeah. But yeah. reading the tea leaves, I think, is also really important. And there's a really interesting little tidbit that we I'm trying to understand. And I think it means something. But <laughs> in the last 48 hours since the release of the report, Trump has tweeted only twice. And that was this morning. So in the first 36 hours, there was nothing. Um, and the, the, one was good morning. Have a great day. Exclamation mm-hmm. point. And one was in all caps. Make America great again. Exclamation point. These are pointless. This was, this, these were, I believe 100% that these were tweeted because Twitter kind of lit up in that 36 hour period of like, what is going on? Why Mm -hmm. isn't Trump tweeting? There are no more indictments. This was a perfect opportunity to go in and be like, he's done it every other time that any information has come out or indictments have come out. Anything that was going to the court that they could read, he was like, see, no collusion. See, I'm vindicated. And with this, crickets so what i mean that's got there's got it i mean there's gotta I mean, be something hoping. there yeah, hoping. yeah. I, i'm i what's the word i guess i'm pessimistic i think the election like really just knocked out all like a lot of my right. like optimism about the political system and i think and i'm my fear is that like we're all, as people with very similar political leanings we're all holding on to this as like our saving grace in like a like uncertain times or times where it feels like nothing makes like the opposite of what should happen is happening yeah. and my fear is that it's going to come out and it's going to be like you know some of the stuff was shady but right. nothing that is going to really change anything from what's happening yeah you know i'm with you emily for my part I, i'm not optimistic that we're going to see a full report i think that uh, we're going to hear pressure from the house uh and i think that um you know uh um we're going to have like a, a thorough summary but you know, I, I think it's going to be like the taxes, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we have to figure out what we're going to do, uh, what we're going to do as a country if we don't get that full report, how we're going to react and how we're going to pr- protect what we feel is uh, important in well, our country. This new house is on their way to getting the taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, Ocasio-Cortez set up the path. I mean, the truth is, as an investigative chamber, you have to establish probable cause mm-hmm. to begin an investigation. And that was done by Ocasio-Cortez during the questioning of Michael Cohen. Um, that process has begun. So the, the like legal process up until now, it's always been kind of like, we trust you to do the right thing. But since we can't trust our current president to do the right thing, they've got to find this legal path and follow the legal path. And, but that's what they're doing. I think the house will end up seeing the full report mm-hmm. because I don't think the juice will be worth the squeeze to them, honestly, unless there's just full condemning evidence in the report that will shut down like the whole GOP or like the entire presidential administration, in which case they'll fight it. But Nancy's going to make it hurt. But like what would like, let's say hypothetically, there is something like that. Like what happens? What's the next step? step? Like if there is this thing that we've as like left leaning people have all been waiting for, like what happens? Right. Like, I guess there's really I mean, is Trump going to pull a Nixon and resign? Like, I doubt it. I don't know. No, I think that we saw like um, 
like a a prototype of what's going to happen when we saw everything happening with this uh, the 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 statement what was it address to the nation like mm. doing the wrong thing the state of the union there we go um, with the state of the union um, fight and everything um, I I think they're fully aware that if they don't give Speaker Pelosi what she wants she's gonna make it hurt <laughs> and then they're gonna have to decide and I think that mm-hmm. that decision will be made later on because right. if nothing like. This speaker knows how the government works and she understands every tiny nuanced aspect of the house and how it functions and how it works in coordination with the with with uh, the Senate and with the with the um the presidential with the White House. And so it's it'll be interesting to see, but we already know that she's drawn her line and we've seen her do that before and she got what she wanted um not without a bunch of pain to the trump administration but she got what she wanted and i think she will again i mean i'm glad you're really confident in her i definitely (laughs) think that she is um you know the people's champ in so many ways but i also just know that the way this administration works most of the time things are just drawn out it's drawn out to like the last minute and i just have a feeling that that's the strategy Mm -hmm. you know whether he wants to go back or not we don't know right but the point is to get out of this joint without being impeached Mm -hmm. i think that's pretty much the only thing they could do at this point now what where america goes after that we don't know Mm -hmm. but i just feel like they're gonna drag it to a point where what we do get is not the full story and then a full story will start coming out come 2020 when the time is winding up Mm -hmm. you know but i definitely hope that it's in enough time that something can happen yeah yeah that's a good point although um We might remember that this is the guy who started his like campaign and his donations for 2020 on his inaugural, you know, on the day that he was elected. Uh, So this is someone who doesn't he doesn't just not want to lose. He wants to keep going as long as possible. So we may see this drag out till close to 2020. But what's that going to mean for for him? Because I don't think he's going to bad news bears. I think it's going to be bad. Mm -hmm. I think that the Democrats also want this to be drawn out as long as possible, unless they're able to find some kind of nail in the coffin. But otherwise, this report will continue to dominate the news Mm -hmm. over and over again for the next 18 months. Until we're, you know, until we're coming up on the new election, I think it's, uh, I think it's quite possible that stuff will come out that will, you know, it, it incentivize other Republicans to run against Trump. We already have one, which is not completely unprecedented, but pretty close to it. Um, and uh, also just more support for the Democratic side. He'll lose support from Republican voters. Now, I don't think mm-hmm. he'll lose support from Republican legislators. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, you know. He does have one of the highest uh, support. He has the highest support like among Republicans in, I think, ever right now. There was Mm -hmm. a huge uh, shift um, once he was elected. And, you know, it has to do because he's creating this narrative. But uh, I don't you know, it's 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 just going to depend on what comes out. There's so many different possibilities, but he's not out. He's by no means out of trouble yet. We still have a New York Attorney General. Um, there's still a current. Uh, there, the, this weekend, also the the Supreme Court was meeting to consider a case, um, which is a subpoena for a uh, foreign corporation that they believe was um, in cahoots with the Trump campaign and things like that. And they actually haven't um, offered up the documents that they were subpoenaed for because they've taken it to court, and this is the last chance. So. 
if this weekend the Supreme Court decides not to see the case, then that's shut down. And it's going to actually shift a lot of things. A lot of people have had their eye on this case because they're like, what are we going to find? Like, what's going to be presented? So we we have the report, but I think it's not as if it's not as big an event as we all hoped it would be because now we're seeing like, oh yeah, not like we didn't know, but right. oh yeah, now we've got to go through this whole process. Okay, yeah. great. I mean, Nixon was halfway through his second term before right. he was impeached. So, oh. I mean, strategies <laughs> for both sides. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a short break and then uh, Teresa has world news with us. We're going to hear about uh, gun control in New Zealand uh, and uh, much more. Uh, stay tuned. Cool. Don't get in your feelings when I call shit quits Go on run to the internet and talk your shit You will never find another bitch like this Boy, I'm not a lame I'm not a game I'm not your main thing I don't wanna be your main thing Boy, I'm not a lame I'm not a game I'm not your main thing I don't wanna be your main thing Bass, I got several uh, Pussy, nigga, level Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, you can listen to us uh, on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on our mobile app, uh, available wherever you get your apps. Um, so now we're going to go right into uh, world news. Teresa, you've got some uh, stories for us this week. Yes, everything's falling apart in Europe. <laughs> um, so the European Union has agreed to extend the deadline for Brexit until April 12th. Um, this is removing the immediate threat of UK leaving the EU without a deal next week. So the new date they gave uh, Prime Minister May um, is three weeks, gives her three weeks to get her unpopular deal through the parliament. So she's been working on this for a while. Nobody wants to play with May. Hmm. And um, now they had to extend the deadline. Um, if the UK does not meet this deadline, it must either provide candidates for the European parliamentary elections or leave the EU with or without any deal in place, which could be a huge mess. Um, so I just my question to you guys is who would really benefit from Brexit? 
Honestly, um, it's not the general population for sure. Um, I, a little bit of reading like showed it's, it's people with large amounts of money making large investment bets and against and for and some things. Um, a lot of the time, majority Mm -hmm. of the people and a lot of the people, like the, it was a lot of lies about, um, funding for the national health system that convinced a lot of people to vote for it. Right. Yeah. And racism right. and yeah. Uh, yeah. xenophobia. The racist and, win again. I mean, so I don't think anyone, <laughs> I honestly, I, because the way this started is they were using Brexit and well, I mean, Brexit was something that had to happen because they were using their racism exactly. and their Islamophobia and this anti-immigration kind of movement that was leveraged by the conservative party that like similar to the well conservative like the trump's uh supporters in essence like leveraging people's fears through these things so they could get what they wanted politically which was their mm-hmm. to their advantage but a part of that was that they did have to exit the eu because of the laws that they were regulated within the eu that mm-hmm. they they couldn't change those so if they wanted to have it their way they'd have to exit so that became a part of the package and now it has become like the bane in their existence because nobody is benefiting from it and they're losing tons of support and everyone's pissed off. And the reality is a, a, like something like this takes a decade yeah. to work out. It takes 10, 12 years to work out every aspect of leaving the EU um, in a way that's not going to completely kill the country's economy. Because we've got to think of visas. We've got to think of like travel within the different countries, people who live in either country from the other places or working mm-hmm. in these mm-hmm. kinds of things, let alone, you know, any kind of like trade agreements. Yep. So it's mm-hmm. like, it, so I'm not shocked that they haven't come to an agreement. I am shocked that the EU continues to like allow them to extend and extend and extend they they got a lot of they have to think about the unity of the what remains and the consequences of all of it happening Mm -hmm. and like you know um they don't want more people to look at the uk and think this is a good idea right um but they also don't want chaos in the region if as long as you know chaos regardless you know whether it makes them look like oh well like the uk looks stupid and no one's going to do it they still having their neighbor fall into a state of God knows what is not good for yeah. them. Either. Yeah. And then there's the question of Ireland. Like, what yeah. do we do there? Oh, God. You know, well, is this wall North, going up or that's the huge, that's a yeah. big one too. My neighbor's um, Irish and mm-hmm. he uh, is kind of in the same boat of like, I don't know. We're not exiting. Right. Exactly. So, like who wants right. to do that? Yeah. And I'm like, that's a, and how, so how do you even unpack that? So there's so many people involved in the negotiations at this point in terms of not just, you know, not just the government of the, of the UK and the prime minister, mm-hmm. but a lot of interests involved. And yeah. if they're not able to please every single one of them, they don't get, there's just so agreement. much interdependency. Um, that has been established in so many different industries yeah. over there. So, you know, it just seems to me that um, what started off as this, you know, oh, our sovereignty and we want to be our own nation has now become this. Well, being your own nation is kind of like not a good thing. You're an mm-hmm. island. Remember, mm-hmm. it's challenging. You're literally an island. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's challenging yeah. to be an island. Everybody's yeah. affected by your um, camaraderie with the people you play with. So yeah. um, maybe not such a great idea. Why do you suppose none of the countries want to participate with Theresa Mays in this deal? 
because it's a death trap. I mean, they're stuck, <laughs> they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because, right. like I said, there's no way that they can finish this in two or three years. Yeah. And yeah. yet, if they decide we're not going to exit, um, you know, you're setting a precedence for basically you're you're killing referendums in the UK. Essentially, mm-hmm. nobody's going to have any trust in it. Nobody's going to give a shit. They're going to be like, oh, another referendum. Another, mm-hmm. another referendum. You're not going to care what we say anyway. You're not going to do what we say we want done. And so right. there's no easy way out of this. It's yeah. going to suck I, for them no matter yeah. what. I mean, there's something to be said for what should be a referendum versus what should be decided by people who mm-hmm. you vote, like the, your elected representatives who have all the information. Mm-hmm. Like something of this magnitude, like... The fact that it was up to a vote that, like, you know, you don't know who woke up hungover and mm-hmm. just, like, did a spin around and just voted for the wrong one by accident. Like, mm-hmm. something to that magnitude is is kind of mind-blowing that that was able to even happen in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, kind of rushed through. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I guess we can move on to New Zealand. Um, so, this week... New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced a ban on all assault rifles, high-capacity magazines, and military-style semi-automatic rifles following the shooting of the two mosques at Christchurch last Friday that left 50 people dead and dozens injured. The swift action had the backing of every major party in Parliament, and gun owners voiced their frustration with the coming gun legislation, but appear to be compliant with what she wants in the government buyback. Um, do you guys feel that this initial initiation on the ban will be effective in eliminating the gun violence in New Zealand? Uh, I 100% do. Mm-hmm. Um, in particular, the, and a, and a person's ability to fire dozens of rounds within a matter of seconds, mm-hmm. um, and, and especially in a crowd, but um, removing that ability is going to save lives, period. Yeah. Like yeah. not having that, uh, you know, people talk about like, well, you know, you can take any kind of gun or a knife or you could drive a car and kill somebody, da, 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 but your ability to end lives in a matter of seconds with one of these assault rifles um, is, un- it's, it's unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I definitely do believe that they're going to experience, I mean, not much like Australia, yeah. although they did it much more drastically, and so there was a tick up in crime, mm-hmm. and then and then it just bottomed out, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think when this comes to question, just like what you were saying, what is really the purpose of anybody to purchase a semi-automatic mm-hmm. weapon? Like, why yeah. would you get that other than? Well, in I I was reading about how in New Zealand, so they already had stricter or. It feels like stricter laws than they do. They have stricter yeah. laws mm-hmm. than the U.S. It's not too. in their constitution, though, so we have that right, issue. Exactly. Yeah. Um, lucky us. Uh, <laughs> and they, you know, you have like you have to list the reason why you're buying the gun when you buy it. They don't have protection as even as a an option. It's basically all for recreation. Yeah. And they there was a poll where they asked mm-hmm. um, a lot of people from New Zealand, "Why do you purchase guns?" And mm-hmm. most people responded for recreation, mm-hmm. as opposed to the American way. Oh, we need to protect ourselves. Right. 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 Yeah. And we kind of established that narrative with that. I mean, we, we're pushing and push it and push it. I think with the down, with the, like, as the NRA continues to lose support and lose money, we're going to see that narrative die off because it takes resources and money mm-hmm. to help maintain that narrative across the country, especially when we're experiencing so many mass shootings yeah. every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that we're going to start to see a shift. I don't think that we'll see an assault rifle ban necessarily at the national level it's different states will start to do it i don't think we'll see it at the federal level but i Mm -hmm. do think that we'll start to see regulation 
Mm-hmm. I do believe that even my friends who are super pro Second Amendment and have like a dozen different rifles and pistols and things like that, when I say to them, okay, but do you, w- would you be willing to essentially register yourself as having these weapons if it means that someone else who may commit like heinous crimes with these is also registered so that we know what these individuals are doing with these weapons yeah. if we if we have no way of knowing what you're doing with these weapons and you can get dozens and dozens of them and thousands and thousands of rounds then nobody's safe and mm-hmm. even my second amendment like pro second amendment friends agree with that right yeah yeah, I mean, I think another major difference is just that uh, the uh, New Zealand, uh, to my knowledge, does not have it written into their law- legal system, this right to bear arms the same way we do. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, that's been interpreted uh, far more broadly than it was originally. It was about uh, the right of, you know, military people to to bear arms mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, th- as a part of the Revolutionary War, you know, but um, still it's like a part of our national consciousness that, even though they have sort of a ranching culture, it's not, it doesn't go as far. Mm-hmm. So. Well, shout out to uh, Prime Minister Prime Minister Arden for just starting the conversation and not waiting for this to, you know, die in our minds to bring up some sort of legislation. I think it was a really progressive move and necessary mm-hmm. um, on the world stage. Just somebody's taking a stance, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's encouraging to see. Yeah. 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 All right. So lastly, back to this guy. Uh, in a speech this week, President Trump officially backed Israel's claim of sovereignty over the Golan Heights area. Uh, the move came weeks before Israeli general elections and reverse um, and reverses the pop- position U.S. administrations have held over decades. Of Scott Lisinski, former U- former advisor to U.S. ambassador to Israel under the Obama administration, said Trump's move seemed to be totally devoid of strategic imperative and possibly aimed at helping Israeli PM Netanyahu. I always say his name incorrectly. Netanyahu. Thank you. Bibi is the nickname. Okay. So Prime Minister Bibi, (laughs) who now faces corruption charges to win the vote. Um, So is Trump's support of this regional takeover and exercises of diplomacy or strategic positioning? This is strategic positioning. He wants to frame the GOP as being, um, you know, the only party that supports uh, Jews and Jewish Americans and the only party that supports the state of Israel. Um, And it's, you know, it's because we're seeing Democrats pushing back against APAC. We see them pushing back against um, human rights violations and and, and straight up, you know, uh, war crimes going on um, throughout the Gaza Strip and, 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 you know, against the Palestinians. And so I think they're taking advantage of Mm -hmm. this really difficult question, which I've also been trying to just figure out for myself. How can you be anti, you know, human rights violations and war crimes that are going on with this current regime while remaining pro the state of Israel while remaining pro Zionism, you know, because it's not my place to speak about Zionism. It's not as a, as somebody who's not Jewish, there is no way for me to personally relate to this. And so I don't feel like it's my place to say good or bad. Um, What I do know is bad is this regime that are committing these atrocities. But in terms of the concept of the state of Israel and uh, you know, a religious state, that's, that's a different question, you know? as someone who is is Jewish, um, I, I'm in that boat as well and almost in a stronger way because it's I have, you know, my political leanings, my beliefs in human rights in general versus um, just my like just the psychological upbringing of what it means to be Jewish and to know that like 
the history of the Jewish people not having a safe place to be right. for millennia. And it, it's complicated and it's complicated. And it's also distanced from where we are politically right now. Like, uh, or like just psychologically, we know there's Israel, whatever, but if that didn't exist, like, you know, historically Jews have found safety and then for like maybe a hundred years in the country. And then, you know, then just violence yeah. just chased out and it, it is complicated. And um, I don't have an answer. Um, I do know that I, a really interesting um, point that someone made to me once an Israeli person explained to, to a group of Americans that I was in that, um, you know, it, it, you're, you're in America, you're, you're a giant, powerful country surrounded by Mexico and Canada, hardly, hardly people like countries that you're afraid of, um, in a war situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Israel is a tiny country size, New Jersey, surrounded by giant superpowers with lots of weapons that want to see it wiped off the face of the earth. And, you know, it doesn't excuse the things happening there to just human beings um, all the time. But it, the psycho, this like the psychological, like the, the land, psychological landscape for people who are almost, who almost constantly have to worry about the country surrounding them. Mm-hmm. It just changes your relationship to the idea of personal safety mm-hmm. and what it means to um, be safe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we, We've talked about Israel on this show a good amount and that, you know, that's a, definitely an argument that uh, there's so many nuances, so many sides to it. Um, I think that uh, I think it's important to think about it um, also as a Jewish American, you know, um, that's definitely the narrative that a lot of people in Israel uh, use as a political strategy. Uh, Netanyahu himself, um, uh, the existential crisis that Israel is constantly finding itself in. Um, I think that, uh, you know, different people would say different things mm-hmm. about that. Um, yeah. One thing to remember is that Israel is a very powerful state right now. You mm-hmm. know, like during its in its origins, it, uh, it did ha- have some major threats to it. As of now, it's a powerful militaristic state. It uh, it uses means of control and um, uh, force uh, mm-hmm. as a way mm-hmm. to keep its political standing. So yeah. I don't want to lose sight of that. Yeah, but no, I fair. think that's then yeah. that's what's so that's what's so awful. And I mean that's what's more terrible about this than anything. Like um, you know to try to trying to make a comparison. And yeah. please forgive me again. But no, the, um, if we were held accountable to Trump and his administration mm-hmm. as a nation, we would be screwed. Mm-hmm. We would be in the same boat where people are like anti-United States and we don't want that. The concept of the United States, the Constitution, you know, what our founding fathers created is what what should be carrying. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see our current administration wrapping themselves in the Constitution and the flag, um, which are good things um, about using it to do bad things. Um, and, you right. know, I think it's good to hold, I think it's important to hold this regime accountable yes. because they cannot wrap themselves in these concepts to do bad things. We, like, we don't want to combine those things, mm-hmm. you know? I agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're, uh, we're running out of time this week for Objection to the Rule. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with more news and politics. Uh, and stay tuned for more Radio Free Brooklyn coming up next. <laughs> Thank you.
mask off. Put me on a link and I bet I won't freeze up. Nigga fought once and his ass called bankrupt. I need a nigga big dick and a Cuban link. Big 